Hello, my name is Andrew Gomison, and it is my amazing privilege each and every week to be your host for the Speaking for Him podcast. I'm so glad that you have joined me today, and whether you are a returning listener or whether this is your first time hearing my voice, I hope that you will find something that will encourage you in your Christian life. Today, uh, we are going to talk about the next episode in our Chosen Review series, and we are reviewing Season 3, Episode 4, and it is called Clean Part 1. I do believe that this is the first time in Chosen history that there has been a two-part episode. I would have to look back in the archives to see if that had occurred before, but I do believe this is the first time. And so I'm excited to dig into that with you. I hope that you are enjoying this podcast and that if you are, you will take the time to give some feedback at the end of the show. That really helps me to be encouraged and just helps me to know how I can minister to you as the weeks and months continue to go on, Lord willing, on the podcast here. So we're going to dive into our review of this episode of The Chosen, but before we do that, I want to say a few words about fatherhood. We just had uh, Father's Day this past Sunday, and I was really grateful to be able to honor my father uh, by preaching a sermon in his honor, and also by giving him a very special Father's Day gift, and I know that I talk a lot about the family structure here on Speaking for Him. It's one of the biggest foundations of our ministry is this idea that family was God's idea and the blueprint for the family is what keeps society going. So we need to keep a proper perspective on all things related to the family. And fathers are definitely important to that equation. Um, there's a passage in Deuteronomy, which I referred to in my sermon, that talks about how fathers are supposed to teach their children all the truths about God as they walk around throughout their day, as they lay down at night, as they sit in their house. Basically, any time you are interacting with your children is an opportunity to share God with them. And so I think it's very important for us to have that mindset as men to share God with the next generation whenever possible, and especially for those of you who are fathers, it is a mandate that God has called you to. Here's a little bit of what PragerU has to say about the importance of fatherhood. Are fathers necessary? For all of recorded history, the need to explain why fathers are necessary would have been regarded as, well... Unnecessary. It would have been like explaining why water or air is necessary. But we live at a time in which the obvious is routinely denied. There have been articles in the most prestigious journals denying the importance of fathers. The Atlantic magazine, for example, published an article titled, Are Fathers Necessary? A Paternal Contribution May Not Be As Essential As We Think. The New York Times published a discussion among five intellectuals titled, What Are Fathers For? One of them, Hannah Rosen, an editor at New York Magazine, opened her response by stating, I'm not sure whether a child needs a father. 
I could give dozens of such examples. I'll just give one more. HuffPost published a piece titled, Fathers Are Not Needed. Fortunately, this dismissal of the importance of fathers is not universal. In a 2008 Father's Day speech, a few months before his election as President of the United States, Barack Obama said, Fathers are critical to the foundation of each family. That they are teachers and coaches, they are mentors and role models, they are examples of success, and they are the men who constantly push us toward it. What makes his comments particularly noteworthy is that Barack Obama grew up without a father. Both boys and girls need fathers. We'll begin with boys. A boy has no built-in understanding about how to be a man, meaning a good and responsible man. Male nature is wild, most obviously regarding sex and violence. If a boy does not have a father who models how a man controls himself, he will most likely not know how to control himself, let alone want to. That's why most males in prison for violent crimes grew up without a father. After days of riots in the UK in 2011, quite like the 2020 riots in America, Christina Adone wrote a column for the London Telegraph, whose title says it all. London riots, absent fathers have a lot to answer for. In the column, she wrote, The majority of rioters are gang members. Like the overwhelming majority of youth offenders behind bars, these gang members have one thing in common, no father at home. There's no question that many mothers have done an excellent job raising a boy without their son's father, but common sense alone suggests that a mother simply cannot model what a boy should be any more than a man can model to a girl what a woman should be. And then there is the issue of controlling boys and their wild natures. Again, there are mothers who are able to do this. But if a boy is at all difficult, as so many are, as he gets older, most mothers will find it more and more difficult to control their son. Because unruly boys listen to their fathers much more than they listen to their mothers. Which is precisely why most violent criminals grew up in fatherless homes. They obviously did not listen to their mothers. As regards daughters, the father is the man girls learn to relate to. Without a father to relate to and bond with, there are at least two destructive consequences. First, she will not know how to choose a man wisely. She will not know how a man should treat her. And she may well end up with a man who mistreats her. Second, to fulfill her desire to bond with a man... As primally yearning in most women as bonding with a woman is in most men, she will go from man to man. Girls without fathers in their lives are far more likely to be sexually promiscuous and to begin sexual activity at an earlier age, which in turn are reasons many young women are depressed. Few women find sleeping with man after man fulfilling. Most find it ultimately depressing so there's a lot of wisdom there in the prager u piece it goes on a little farther and i've always found prager u videos very informative and also done in an entertaining manner so you'll want to take a look at that that link will be on my blog but the most important thing that we need to know about fathers is that 
God said that they were necessary. And when we look in Ephesians, we find in chapter 5 that God lays out an extensive blueprint for the order of the family. In chapter 5, we see him talking about the relationship between the husband and wife and how a wife needs to submit to her husband and a husband needs to love his wife as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. We then see after that that children are commanded to obey their parents in the Lord for this is right. So we see in this Ephesians passage the wife's response to the husband, the husband's response to the wife, and then the children's response to the parents. And then in Ephesians 6, 4, we see this thought-provoking yet somewhat startling statement. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That tells me that a father has the primary responsibility to bring his children up in a godly way. That does not negate a mother's responsibility, nor does it say that a single mother is not capable of raising godly children. But the primary onus on your children being raised in a godly home is placed on the father. And so we must not underestimate the importance of a father in our society or in our families as individuals. And when we start to get confused about the way things are going, we just need to constantly bring ourselves back to the blueprint of the Bible because it will never fail us. Now it is my privilege to review for you The Chosen Season 3, Episode 4. This episode is called Clean Part 1. Once again, I do believe it's the first two-part episode in the history of The Chosen thus far. Someone can fact-check me on that if they wish by looking into the archives of my Chosen reviews. I will do the same and offer a correction on the blog if necessary, but I do believe this is the first time that a two-part episode has been employed by The Chosen, and it was a pretty neat episode. I want to start out, though, with our quote of the day. Our quote of the day comes from Veronica, who is the personification of the woman with the issue of blood that we read about in Scripture. She's not given a name in Scripture, um, and we're not really told much about her life, but we see some insight into what it could possibly have been in this episode. And so Veronica says, if people knew something that would help, I wouldn't want them to withhold it. And she is referring, in this particular instance, to the stream that she found that she directs Eden to to get the clothes clean that need to be clean. Because one of the side plots of this episode is that there's a cistern in the town that is broken and not functioning properly. So people have to go hither and yon, wherever they can find clean water, 
because it's affecting every part of living life in this first century town. So I wanted to make sure that I gave you a comprehensive review. So I wrote down just some brief observations to help jog my memory. And I hope this will be, as I said, a informative review for you. And then you can watch this episode and enjoy what that episode has to offer. If you have any input that you would like to give regarding this episode, you may contact me with the contact information that will roll at the end of the show and let me know what that is. And with your permission, I may share it on a future episode. Even more uh, interesting would be if you were interested in reviewing a future episode of The Chosen with me on the show. All you have to do is indicate your willingness to do that and drop me an email, and I would be glad to get in touch with you and schedule a time when we can do a Zoom and do a review together. So just keep that in mind. But the first scene that we see in this episode is actually an extended montage of the disciples going out two by two. And it's kind of interesting because in the Bible we just read this phrase that Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. And I don't recall off the top of my head whether there was um, one time when he sent out the 12 and another time when he sent out 72 or if 72 was just a big number and the disciples were included in that. But I really appreciated that this episode gives us some insight into what it might have been like to travel two by two and to be tasked with this idea of healing and preaching the good news of God to surrounding towns. And I really like the way it's depicted here. Uh, You get a chance to see little James healing a lame man, which is kind of a callback to episode three when we see James struggling with the fact that Jesus hasn't healed him. And he says, you'd have a great story if I healed you, but how much greater would the story be if you were healing others, even though you weren't being healed yourself? So I thought that was a really cool callback and just the excitement that James had for for helping others. And it really resonated to me in my own life, uh, because I'm able to show as I do this podcast and as I live my life that even if things don't go correct in the way the world would say would be correct, I can still rejoice. There are people in the world, I'm sure, that are saying, why would you believe in a God who would allow you to be disabled? And I just say to them, I believe in a God who allows me to be alive and has a purpose for my life. Then we see a synagogue scene where they are uh, sharing passages on cleanness from Leviticus. And I really noticed this the second time I watched this episode in prep uh, for this review, which is actually the third time overall I watched it. Because for some insight into my process, I always watch the whole season as it comes out. And then once the whole season is available, then I begin my reviews. 
and I try to watch each episode twice right before I review it. Sometimes I don't get through it a second time, but this time I was able to. And my second run-through of the episode today, I noticed they were reading these passages on cleanliness, and it was a contrast to the struggle of the woman with the issue of blood. Because later you see that she has a job cleaning other people's clothes, but then when a certain gentleman realizes that she has the issue, he doesn't want anything to do with her cleaning his clothes, and he yells really loud so that other people will know that she's unclean. Now everything that is shown in the episode shows that she takes great care to make sure that she doesn't soil other people's clothes, but this is how much of a stickler the people were in that age of being clean and making sure that they didn't contaminate themselves or other people. It was very important to them. So then we see this situation with the broken cistern and we see that it's bringing forth sludge and the primary reason for it that's stated is that there's so many people traveling and living in the tent city, which is adjacent to the actual city, and it's putting pressure on the plumbing. And it's really causing havoc for everyone uh, because they don't have the supplies to replace it yet. And so that is a big issue. Again, another issue of purity, that there needs to be clean water, and there's actually a tie-in there because the doctor diagnoses Jairus' daughter with an illness that is related to contaminated water, which, again, we don't know what her illness was, but it's a plausible illness for the time period. Then we see Jairus and Yusuf discussing the Sermon on the Mount and discussing uh, how best to report it and handle it. Jesus has said some really radical things that made people uncomfortable. We've already talked about in past episodes how it has changed the lives of others, and so that's been exciting to see. I like the fact that this is a series format so that you can see the development of ideas and you can see the way people are impacted uh, by the teachings of Christ in a way that you wouldn't see if it was just a two-and-a-half-hour movie telling the whole story. So then we see Peter return from the mission field, and he's reconnecting with Eden, of course. At first, he sneaks up on her, and she's really excited to see him, even though he's early. Um, she initially thinks that he is somebody else, possibly a robber, and she's like, I'm you can be glad that I, I love you or I'd be really mad at you right now for sneaking up on me. And then you begin to see some of the struggles foreshadowed that they will have for reconnecting with one another. For one thing, Peter doesn't really have time to spend a ton of time with Eden just by themselves, and so that causes some strain. And um, But you see them begin to reconnect and try to make that happen. I think it's so important to show this because you really see how men and women process things differently and how communication is so important. And I think that that is something 
that we will see as the season continues to unfold, uh, how important it is for Peter and Eden to find each other again and to realize that they need to communicate and to actually talk to one another and let one another know what they're feeling if they're going to be successful in marriage. And I think that's why Peter would later write in the epistle to Peter, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, because he was speaking from personal experience. So then we meet Veronica, the woman with the issue of blood, um, and she is, as I said, uh, cleaning clothes for other people and for herself. Um, she finds a stream that is, that is good for that, and she actually strikes up a friendship of sorts with Eden, and they talk about uh, a lot of different things. And um, then we see Jairus's family. We see the daughter that I mentioned earlier, and we see how excited she is to be with her father. And then, of course, uh, later in, I think, that same scene, we see Jairus' daughter fall ill. And, of course, later we find out that it is attributed to the contaminated water. Then we see um, Eden and Veronica talk, and Veronica um, tells Eden part of her story. She's like, I've had this issue of blood 12 years, and so... Here is a profound clip of Veronica, the woman with the issue of blood, telling her story. There's no cure for my ailment. I spent all my money on doctors. And they only made it worse. No hope there. So what do you do with no hope? I haven't lost all hope. There's no cure by doctors. But there might be something I haven't done yet. Then we follow that up with seeing Mary Magdalene and one of the other women who has joined the ministry talking about how they are going to continue to help the ministry and struggling with how to address each other's pasts with one another. I actually really like the way Dallas has dealt with the women who obviously ministered to Jesus. We already saw Joanna Herod Stewart and her contributions to the ministry. We see Mary Magdalene and this other lady trying to come up with ways to help the ministry. Um, they are actually kind of semi going into business with Zebedee because he is trying to develop a new olive oil. And I don't know exactly why in this iteration they have him giving up his fishing trade for the oil business, because I always 
pictured him as an influential fish seller. And the reason that I pictured it that way is because his son John was the only disciple that really had an audience in the courtyard of the Sanhedrin. He was known by those people. And so I always supposed that he that, that meant that Zebedee was well known uh, because he is referred to as the son of Zebedee. So I'm not exactly sure where Dallas was going with that, but whatever that is, we see him really fail to make a good oil at first because he chooses a cheap olive um, that has more oil but less flavor. And so I really appreciated uh, that whole exchange where the women are being honest with him about his oil so that he can do the best that he possibly can. Then we have the disciples having a discussion um, at Peter's house, and they've gone out two by two. They're, they're trying to process everything that happened. And I really like the way they're talking because they're basically saying, we don't understand how God did what he did in and through us. We only know that he did good work. And the conclusion reached around the table is that they should simply ask Jesus for clarification later. It's kind of an interesting episode in the fact that we've gotten this far in and we have not seen Jesus yet. And I find that interesting because you really get this sense of how the disciples are confused without Jesus, but they still went and did what he asked them to do, and now they are processing the results. And so so then we see um, Eden and Victoria, I believe, again, and they are talking, and I think the clip that I just played came from their second discussion, and it's interesting uh, that Veronica is looking for hope. She hasn't given up hope because of her ailment. She knows that there may still be hope out there, and I think she's alluding to the fact that she thinks Jesus might be able to help her, but she didn't say it out loud, and you can tell that Eden is struggling with her spiritual journey, because as much as she wants to help her husband, she feels like he's being pulled away from her, and she's not communicating well with him either. So then we see a Sanhedrin discussion of the things that are going on and how to deal with them. They are trying to figure out how how to best address the cistern situation and other things. And then we see Veronica rejected from washing someone's clothes and the guy yells unclean because he's afraid that she has contaminated his clothes. So he goes to wash in the river according to the ceremonial laws. And that's how we go back to the ceremonial reading scene. And we are reminded about all the ways that the Jewish people are supposed to stay clean. Then we see 
a scene where Peter is really struggling. And I really resonated with this scene, even though I'm not married yet, I have always been cognizant of the fact that women are designed differently than men. And in this particular scene, Eden wants Peter to know something about what she's struggling with, but she does not want to have to spell it out. So if I could give the ladies listening any advice, please spell out what's wrong so that we can do what we need to do to make it better if possible. There are some times when we can't make it better and we just need to be there for you. I understand that. But I can tell you that for a godly man, his greatest desire is to be a protector and a provider for the women in his life, particularly his wife. So please tell us how you're feeling. Um, Yes, Peter could be more sensitive to the fact that He's been away from his wife and he shouldn't just volunteer his home uh, right off the bat. And I think he was starting to feel some of that at the end uh, when he was getting frustrated. But there's definitely a case to be made for just being plain and saying what you mean. Then we see Simon and Gaius. Gaius, of course, is a Roman leader. He was he was Matthew, the tax collector's boss. And, of course, Peter is known for following Jesus. They have an interesting discussion about home life and married life, and Gaius gives Peter some advice, which in some situations um, could be good. To learn the five words, I was wrong, I'm sorry, but sometimes they're not enough, as Peter will learn going forward. But that was an interesting discussion, and Peter informally, I believe, agrees to help fix the cistern in town if the supplies are provided. Then we see... This episode come to a close with Jairus and his wife. And his wife asks, have you checked on our daughter lately? Remember, she's ill, presumably from this waterborne illness. And she goes in to check on her and screams for Jairus. And that's the end of the episode. And the presumption based on the biblical narrative is that their daughter has passed away. And, of course, that leads to an exciting cliffhanger, which is probably why this was a two-part episode. Jesus does make an appearance in this episode when he comes to Peter's household, and Peter's upset because he's been feuding with Eden. He can't figure out what is wrong with her, and now everybody's encroaching on his house and starting this big gathering again at his house when he just wants to be with his wife and try to fix things. So we'll see what happens with them in the next episode, but all in all, a really chock-full episode with a lot going on. I really like this episode. Dale has actually said that he based this episode, especially the interactions between Peter 
and Eden on the fact that there's always a re-entry phase when you travel for work and then you get home and you get used to being around your spouse again. And I think that's so important to bring out because I think everyone that has any sort of traveling in their life struggles with it. I know that when we visited my brother at his military base, we actually went to a session where they talked about that, where they talked about for the spouse that's in the military to get reacclimated to civilian life can be very difficult. And so I really like the fact that, that this was incorporated into this episode and how, you know, Peter starts out this series with little to no direction. He meets Jesus. Jesus changes him. He's encouraged by Eden to go and follow Jesus. She stands behind him. But then she also struggles to see God at work in the situation. And she feels like Peter's being pulled away from her, but instead of voicing her true feelings, she holds them back and almost feels like Peter should know her true feelings. And so I just like the way that this relationship is being unfolded for us on this show. I really appreciate that. I would give this episode a solid 4.5 out of 5 stars. I would encourage you to watch it. I always get excited when I do the Chosen reviews because the Chosen is free on the Chosen app. You don't have to have a streaming service to watch it. You don't even have to give your email address to watch it. You just get on the Chosen app and push play on the episode that you want to watch. And I've always respected the fact that that is the model that Dallas wanted to use when putting together this show. So all in all, a really exciting episode. There's some unresolved tension with Peter and Eden. There's also unresolved tension with the woman with the issue of blood. She's still waiting for her miracle. And then we have Jairus and his family who are also waiting for a miracle. So a lot to look forward to in the next episode of The Chosen. I hope that you have enjoyed this review and that you will share it with your family and friends and maybe it can enhance um, your Bible study or your own viewing of the series. I know I have had some feedback that a gentleman uh, from Australia uh, used this as he was preparing to do a chosen theme Bible study. So if you are able to use uh, my podcast in any way to encourage yourself or others, I would really appreciate hearing from you and knowing just exactly how it encouraged you. It really does help me to keep on keeping on. It's hard to believe that next week will be 560 episodes of the podcast. You know, when I started back in October 2012, who would have thought that I would still be doing it now? But God just continues to bless day after day, week after week with more ideas for content. And I'm so thankful for everyone who listens. I hope that you have a wonderful day.
and that as always, you keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.